You are listening to the Cult Movement Gym Podcast. The following is a conversation with Savannah Holmes. Savannah is a Canadian athlete that raises funds for charities by participating in ultra-endurance events around the world. With the help of her community, she's raised thousands of dollars for various causes, from education centers in Africa to healing retreats for abuse survivors in Canada. I would like to thank our sponsors, Native Pass Supplements, Lombardi Chiropractic, Home Sweet Home Cleaning, and Thin Line Martial Arts. If you are enjoying this content, I ask that you support these companies in the description and take advantage of the enticing discount they're providing our listeners by using our code COMO15, that's C-O-M-O-15. I thank each and every one of you for being on this journey with us. Now, please enjoy the show. Savannah, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, thanks so much. Doing great, Josh. Yes. Yeah, so uh, we connected on Instagram and um, you're doing some spe- spectacular stuff that I'm really inspired by. And uh, I wanted to have you on and, and chat and maybe we're inspire a bunch of listeners. Yeah, that's definitely my hope with what I do. So that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, you take on some uh, crazy events, uh, things that to me are are mind blowing. And I want to first start with the, you ran barefoot 500 kilometers uh, for charity. Is that right? Or is it some, something like that? Something like that, for sure. Yeah, back in uh, 2021, I undertook that challenge. um, And yeah, I honestly didn't ever think it would create as much momentum uh, as it did. But here we are several years later still talking about it. So (laughs) it's great. Yeah. How how was that experience? Like that seems, um, I know you raised a bunch of money uh, for a great cause. You know, how was it was eight days, right? 500 kilometers. What's that? 300 miles, right? Around there. Three, 310. Roughly. Um, how, how was that? Like, how did you go about that? Like pacing? Like, I'm just curious. It's a lot of distance, a lot of volume in that amount of time. Yeah. Um, looking back with, you know, the added few years of, of running experience, I, I actually have no logical answer for how it was done, to be honest. Um, I went into that blind. I, you know, I literally maybe had run like, I did a half marathon, maybe a month out. And I was like, okay, yeah, I think I got this. (laughs) Um, And then, you know, I proceeded to stack marathons on in the training. But uh, I, I really just was so convicted with the cause. And, and, and after that experience, I, I did realize like, okay, yeah, uh, passion purpose is what's going to drive you more than any amount of prep or training. Obviously, that helps uh, and aids to the success of anything you undertake. But ultimately, it's a mind game when you're covering that type of distance. So yeah, as far as pacing strategy and even nutrition, I mean, I was kind of figuring that out day of. I was like, okay, so day one was a bit of a flop. Let's try day two. And uh, so I was just okay rolling with the punches, learning on the go. I think that's the thing with ultras, right? When you're covering that degree of distance, uh, there's really no prediction of how stuff's going to go down because you have so many elements uh, impacting and influencing the experience overall. So, Yeah, that's... um... Yeah, that's you're absolutely right. I have not done any ultras, but I'm just getting 
more into the endurance sports uh, piece. I've done a few sprint triathlons and I did one Olympic distance. And you're right. It's sort of like in the beginning guesswork, right? You like you can prep at some level, um, but you just have to get experience in the trenches. And you and you certainly did that running 500 kilometers. <laughs> yeah, I like I like to throw myself in. If it's not intense enough, I, I lose interest. So it seemed like the best way to go about it. How did you get in, uh, interested in endurance sports? Like, what's your background in that? Uh, yeah, again, it was uh, it was kind of the the charity aspect came first, and then the idea to pair with uh, ultra athletics. So, I work in marketing. I'm very familiar with how uh, tough it is to make noise in this world. And and I always say this to friends. I say, we're just like the gladiators. You know, we still get a kick out of throwing someone in an arena and, and watching them put themselves to these crazy tests and, and suffering. And honestly, I knew that if I wanted to make some noise, if I wanted to raise this this awareness and the, this money for different organizations, I would have to do something uh, kind of out of the norm. So it was kind of the secondary thought. The first thought was always like driven by the charity. The second thought was, well, I think the best way to do that is I have a passion for athletics. Um, and I say athletics in a very broad term because I just like moving my body. And uh, and I also kind of wanted to do something really challenging. Uh, David Goggins, obviously a huge inspo of mine. So yeah. I wanted yeah. to uh, kind of experience that, right? And um, one thing I think is really powerful, we, we say it a lot, like put yourself in somebody else's shoes. And I thought if I was going to be uh, – putting so much effort into helping individuals who are in suffering in difficult situations. I wanted, I wanted to get down in the trenches with them and experience that. So I think, yeah, it was kind of a secondary thought. Uh, but my background just was a passion for running all throughout childhood. Uh, my mom and I, that's kind of how we bonded and uh, it was a really positive experience for me. So I never had official athletic training. Um, I think that was good. You know, as a kid, never had pressure on it. It was just always something I did out of enjoyment. Uh, and it wasn't until I kind of reached the adulthood years that I thought, okay, maybe I'll take this to the next level. Yeah. Did you, so other than running, um, you know, did you swim, did you bike or are you fairly new to that? Um, so if you know, insanity, the old, uh, the old like video training that that was my that was my go to. I I grew up overseas, so I didn't have access to the facilities we have here. So that was like me in my garage kicking out insanity every day. I played water polo as a kid, so that kind of gave me the the confidence in the water. But I learned real quickly uh, when I shifted into triathlons, what I'm training for now. In uh, <laughs> water polo, you're taught how to like score goals and, and kind of take down people in the water. You're not really taught how to move. Um, so th there's been a big learning curve in, in a lot of those disciplines. As for biking, I mean, I just used it as my daily commute. And and again, I was like, oh, this could actually be kind of fun if I uh, if I took this up. So that's how I fell into that one. Yeah, that's cool. What, uh, what I'm curious, daily commute, like, um, what are you uh, riding your bike? How far to work and, and home each day or, or wherever you're going, grocery store or whatever? Yeah, well, now I work from home, so uh, I don't get to anymore. It's not much of a commute. <laughs> but uh, okay. back in back in that time, I <laughs> yeah. um, back in that time, it was about just like a 15k 
So they're back 30K. So it wasn't, you know, anything too crazy. I got like a $200 road bike off of Facebook Marketplace. And that was kind of my my introduction into road biking. So it was a phenomenal experience. I remember actually finishing a shift one time. Um, this was, you know, I was back like 19 or so several years ago. Uh, it was like 10 p.m., pouring rain. I live in Canada, so it's, it's chilly up here. <laughs> and I was like just biking home in the pitch dark, <laughs> like getting pelted with rain and hail. And I was like, this is so awesome. So, uh, yeah, that, that was kind of, that was the start for me. <laughs> How did the idea come up, um, to, to raise funds for charities, um, through performing these events? Like, did you have a moment or an experience that really clicked and resonated for you? Um, that gave you the idea that you really wanted to put your effort in, into doing this? How did that come about? Yeah. So uh, as a kid, I have some pretty cool parents. Um, and they always used to tell us, like, combine your your passion with a purpose um, bigger than self. So I was always kind of in the back of my head, you know, I'm passionate about athletics. Could I do something more? Um, and I think especially as a young person in society too, um, you want to contribute, you want to feel like you're growing something and you're part of something. And there's not a ton we can contribute at this age, right? Like our knowledge is kind of crap. Uh, finances also kind of crap. So <laughs> it was always this question of like, what could I, what could I use? So passion into purpose uh, has always has always played out of my mind. But uh, in specific regards to the Barefoot 500, and I had similar experiences with the other ultras, um, you know, I was running a half marathon 2 a.m. in the morning uh, just down my street because that's what you do. Uh, and, yeah, just kind of the whole idea came to me. Uh, I was at a really pretty viewpoint, and I just thought, holy smokes, maybe maybe I could do something like this and uh, and actually have – a purpose greater than self-attached to it. And so that was when, you know, I call it like the the divine download came to me for that one. Uh, the idea was just so powerful and potent and it was very instant too. It was like three months from thought to execution. Um, so yeah, sometimes there's like a very spiritual element to it. Other times it's just like, let's get out, let's do it. You, you see a need in the society, you see something you could do and you just go out and fill it. Wow. Yeah. That's, um, that is so cool. How are you getting, uh, like donors or I know you have a great Instagram account. That's how we connected. Um, you know, cause you're raising a decent amount of funds so far, you know, with these events, like how are you spreading the word? You said you were into marketing. So I'm assuming there's a, a, a magic way to do that, or you've got that down. How are you doing it? Yeah, well, this is, what's really impressive. Um, Every single one of those donations has come privately through people. Uh, we had no corporate donations. Wow. Part of the reason is wow. um, some of the, yeah, yeah, absolutely none. Uh, a lot of them have like a huge slew of paperwork. And I just, uh, I'm very cautious of the politics of charity. Uh, I think growing up in impoverished countries, you see charities pop up like coffee shops and to me, there's just like a lot of corruption involved in it. So I'm, I'm very cautious of not contributing to that. And I just did not want to get into to the, the series of paperwork. And a lot of the companies, um, when we approached them, they wanted so much in return. And I was like, you just, you're not catching it. You know what I mean? Like, 
I want you to give because you want to be involved in this cause. So every single cent that we've raised has come directly from people's um, pockets. That's super, super powerful. I think a huge thing is storytelling. Uh, people connect with people. And so that's what I strive to do. I strive to to get the actual story of what I'm raising funds for. So it's not just for kids in Uganda. It's for this kid specifically. And here's his story. It's not just for survivors of sexual abuse. It's for this woman specifically. And obviously we don't publish private stories, but um, that really has been huge, you know, telling people's story. And I also am really cautious that I want everyone who's witnessing the event, whether through donation or volunteer um, to feel like they are contributing the same, you know, as I am doing the ultra itself. And I think that's been huge because I think our society is desperate to be involved in something. People want to feel needed and included. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Savannah, I couldn't agree more. There's a lot of people lost, confused, like lacking motivation. And, you know, if they can, almost like live vicariously through these expeditions and events that you're doing and support a good cause. Like what a great combination. What cause did, uh, or what charity did you support with the 500 kilometer run? Yeah. So, uh, it's actually my mom runs a leadership education program in Uganda. Um, so basically it's, it is as grassroots as it gets. That's what I like to work with too. Cause you're not, uh, again, politics and charity systems, you're going straight from over here, the donation to immediate use. There's no admin fees that are just sucking it dry, right? So uh, that was the first one. They took slum children uh, and who, you know, all came from situations of abandonment, abuse, alcoholism, uh, you name it, uh, and provided them with um, an, an opportunity to gain the fundamentals of education. But it's been really interesting because now it's obviously been a few years. We've been able to move all those kids through this leadership education program. Uh, and actually, we have two kids on the national boxing team in Uganda now. So that was super cool. Like, it's just, it's wow. just been so exciting to see them go through this process you know they're not stuck in this system of of there's no options over there right so uh it's been really awesome to see them now become entrepreneurs and, and leaders in their own community what is your mom doing uganda well uh she homeschooled all of us <laughs> but this was just something that she started on the sides, um, it was called Enhance Humanity. It's now been rebranded as Families Mentoring Families. Um, and so it just provides relief for, for you know, really anyone that, I mean, all of it comes through referrals. People can show up at the center and, and they'll go through kind of an intake process. And so it's really expanded, but it's uh, ultimately a literacy center so that it enables kids to gain fundamental education. Wow. So you were, you lived in Uganda for four years. Is that correct? Five. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty close. <laughs> Five. Wow. And so, um, it, how was that experience? Like what age were you? Um, tell me about that. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I was 14 when we moved there 
And it came from my really cushioned life uh, here in Canada. And I kind of sold everything to, to go. We, we just packed up two suitcases each and hit the road. And kind of like my experience jumping into the 500 barefoot without any training, we kind of jumped over there without uh, much requisite of what we were doing. So, you know, I guess I had already had that example in my life. Um, so we headed over there. My dad runs a uh, factory that manufactures nutritional supplements uh that deal with the acute malnutrition uh, in the sub-Sahara region. So that was primarily why we went. Uh, they kind of told us when we left whether it was a lie to just convince us to get on the plane or they genuinely thought this. You know, they were like, oh, it's just for six months. Don't worry. And then uh, I think it was like two and a half years later before I even did a visit back to Canada. So it was quite an exchange. Um, I, I've talked about this quite a bit in my book, how – when, you know, to go to an impoverished country and to see poverty on that level is going to impact you at any stage in your life. But I think specifically when we're still in the teen years, still in the developing years, we still have the innocence of youth kind of within us. And if we don't, we're not calloused to suffering yet. And so we see all these events transpiring before us. And we actually genuinely believe that we can help. You know, we're not deterred by the statistics. I think in adulthood, you kind of logic your way and reason your way out of like, well, what impact could I have? I didn't have that. So, you know, in some degree, it made the experience, I feel tenfold harder because I walked around and I just absorbed and metabolized everyone's suffering as my own. I didn't have that barrier and that boundary of like, that's not my problem. Um, so that made the impact of being there extremely difficult at times as well, because I just didn't really know how to process what I was witnessing, which, you know, Uganda's Uganda's pretty low. Um, so there's not like elephants and, and lions and stuff walking around your front door, but there are very much so, you know, the starving child poster is 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 all around you. Um so, it, you know, it's definitely a tough experience. Um, and I would be lying to say there were not moments while I was over there that I wanted nothing more than to come back. But uh, type two fun, right? <laughs> Looking back, definitely the most amazing experience of my life. I think it taught me that um, that this life isn't really ours, right? It's It was a gift. And, and we're no more entitled to live how we live than they are. Like, why should they live as they, right? So, uh yeah, definitely a tough experience, but one that I'm grateful to have had. Yeah, five years, you know, if you moved there when you were 14, that's a, a good portion of your developmental years. Um, and, and you were homeschooled, you know, third world country. Uh, I'm assuming this definitely probably has a lot to do with your charitable causes and your drive and, and purpose now. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Massively. Mm-hmm. Boy, that is uh, that is very, very, very cool. Did you know a clean house reduces anxiety, increases your productivity, improves sleep, and decreases stress? Yes, all of those health benefits just from having a clean house. The problem is that no one finds cleaning fun, except for the great folks at Home Sweet Home Cleaning. Mention the Co-Movement Gym podcast and receive 20% off deep cleans for all clients who sign on using their reoccurring services and start enjoying a clean house today. The majority of supplements on the market are junk and a waste of money. Lack of regulation allows these companies to sell cardboard and a pill and they get away with it. It's important to purchase your supplements from a company you trust, which for us at Co-Movement is Native Path Supplements. 
Shop their products at nativepath.com and use code COMO15 for a nice discount at checkout. That's C-O-M-O-15. Back pain, headaches, and discomfort plague the majority of humans walking around each day. Chiropractic care can be the solution to feeling your best. I know for me personally, it has had a huge impact on how I feel day to day. The problem is that many people fear going to the chiropractor and getting their first adjustment. The team at Lombardi Chiropractic are the best of the best, a team that I've worked with for over 12 years. Visit their website at LombardiChiropractic.com, and when you call, let them know you are a listener of the Co-Movement Gym Podcast. Law enforcement officers have one tough job. While some calls may be routine, many are not oftentimes putting officers in unpredictable situations. Thinline Martial Arts is an apparel company that promotes defensive tactics training for officers so that they can be equipped to safely handle a hand-to-hand combat situation. Purchasing apparel from Thinline Martial Arts promotes this message and allows more officers to attend training. Go to thinlinemartialarts.com and use code COMO15, that's C-O-M-O-15, to receive a 15% discount on us. Very cool. You did um, a thousand kilometer snow run also, uh, if I was reading that correctly. Tell me about that. Yeah, it was a thousand kilometer cycle, 100K snow run. Um, okay. That, that's a, that one's a funny story because <laughs> um, I, you know, I didn't run after the Barefoot 500. I actually do think I dealt with a little bit of like PTSD when it came to running because I I did like a half marathon, uh, maybe like a month after I was still recovering because I'd broken my feet on the run and, and I got into my car and I just like burst into tears and I was shaking and I was like, I will never run again. Um, so I kept that promise. I was pretty dang diligent about it. So maybe six months go by not running at all. I was a little bit paranoid too. I I really had effed up my feet. So I was like, yeah, I don't know about this. Um, and it was, (laughs) it was like the day before my birthday. And I was like, Whoa, I'm a hundred kilometers away from running 2000 kilometers this year. Um, and again, that's just how my mind operates. So (laughs) With no training, I'd never done this distance. The, the furthest I'd run on the, the barefoot run was 63, 65 kilometers in a day. So I was stacking on a decent decent chunk here. But I was like, nah, I can do it. Um, and I think I just had gotten over COVID too. But I, I woke up. Um, there was a massive snowstorm, like massive. I think it was like negative 15. It was pretty chilly. Um, and yeah, my mom just drove beside me. And um I, I did it for two reasons. One is I had a lot of friends going through some crap last year or that year. Um, and this one didn't necessarily go for raising money, but I, I just wanted to tell, like send the message very loud and clear that like you can wake up and make that change instantly. You can wake up and do something you didn't think you could do. And I was so proud of a lot of my friends for, for just waking up and showing up for that year. Cause it was a tough one for them. Uh, so that's ultimately why I did that one. Um, and, and yeah, it was a super, super humbling experience. My, my road got closed due, due to like snow, you know, hitting way, way steep. So I ended up circling the dinkiest little farm town. It was like a 20 kilometer loop and I just looped it all day and it took me about 13 hours. So that was pure mental game on that one. <laughs> 
Wow. Yeah. And so there was 62 miles, uh, essentially on what did you say? Snow covered roads, right? Yeah. Yeah. I did a lot of splits mm-hmm. on the intersection, just like getting to ice by the end. So it was terrible. <laughs> Wow. I like what you just said, like uh, motivating people and showing people that you can get up uh, any day and create massive change in your life if you choose to do that and do big things. Uh, I think that's a really powerful statement. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I also feel like we kind of reserve these things for the elite, right? Like if Goggins was to do that, we'd be like, yeah, that's Goggins. Uh, You know, if an Olympic athlete was to do that, yeah, but they're an Olympian. And I really wanted to, to break that, you know, like I'm an ordinary kid. I, you know, literally had to, to sit on a couch for like three days after that one. Um, and I was fine telling people about that because I think we all have an imposter syndrome when it comes to trying challenging things. It's like, I'm just too ordinary for that. But ultimately the only reason anyone else is extraordinary is because they, they did something first and then, you know, you kind of gain that title. So yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. It, it, owning this brand and our and our gym and our fitness company here, thirteen years now, um, I can definitely agree with you on that. You know, so many people stop themselves from from upgrading their life uh, and making positive changes because of fear and lack of self-efficacy like they don't think they can do it and so they just stay in that in that one area and they look back 5 10 20 years down the road and they really didn't get anywhere um versus the way that you're describing your life and really how I operate as an entrepreneur and as an athlete is you jump in you say yes and it's obviously calculated at some point at some level but through that experience, you learn a lot about yourself and more opportunities come up along the way because you said yes versus no and playing it safe. And so I can resonate with you a lot on that, Savannah. Yeah, definitely. I I heard the saying like analysis paralysis pretty early on mm-hmm. into this venture. And, and that kind of has stuck with me of like, I don't want to be the person that was sitting here trying to get the details right that I missed the train altogether. So... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always um, there's a there's a line. I'm sure you've heard it, but like uh, they say, like the definition of uh, heaven, or like when you get to heaven someday, um, you know, you will meet the version of the person that you could have become, and like you know, that haunts me. Um, hence why I say yes to a lot of things, you know, within my values, obviously. Um, but yeah, yeah that's that was pretty darn powerful. And I think Oggins on one podcast actually talked about that too, where um it was a similar analogy, but you know, uh they they were describing who he would have been if he had stayed the course of his old life versus where he is now. Um, and that comparison and those people got to meet, and it was like, wow, totally like wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think I think our own selves is like that's where all the motivation you need lies. It's just like in who you could be. That's a super powerful thought. You did another event. Um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. Therapuo One Thousand yeah. is that? Yeah. yeah. What is that? Tell me about that. Yeah. So Therapuo is a Greek word uh, for restoration and and healing, and ultimately that's what we dedicated the thousand kilometers to. Um, so I always, uh, I always think of a challenge or a charity cause, uh, 
that's close to home. Um, so for Uganda, you know, personally, that was close to home. Uh, I knew the faces of the kids and, and that was really powerful, motivating for me. Um, during COVID, so 20, I think it was the year 2020 or 2021, one of those years, in my little city of Kelowna, we saw a 400% rise in sexual abuse. Um, and obviously, childhood sexual abuse is rampant, uh, you know, across the globe. But when schools shut down and kids were forced to go home, school is the number one detector for finding out those abuses or coaches at sports. And, and they're, they're typically trained uh, to identify the signs and signals. Now, when those facilities and institutions shut down, kids were often left at home mm-hmm. and most, you know, more times than less with the predator themselves. So um, it was something that we were having a huge, huge issue with. And uh, again, you know, see a need, fill a need. So that's from sales. I learned that from door-to-door sales. And <laughs> I hate everything about door-to-door sales, but that was the one thing, like, see a need, fill a need. So um, I kind of converted that into something else now. But anyways, so yeah, that's, uh, I, I got connected with You Grow Girl, the organization, when I was running the Barefoot 500. They were connected um, to our community during that point. And I remember the second I met them and I heard those ladies' stories, because that's it. It's a story against the person. I'm not doing it for a massive organization. I'm doing it for select individuals. Um, when I heard what they were doing and how grassroots they were and saw them on the fields and like out there and, and doing this project themselves, I was like, I'm coming back and I'm doing something for you. And, you know, you said it so perfectly before, you know, it's like, there's so many opportunities that come just from saying yes. You don't always know. So right after the Barefoot 500, I actually quit my job and I went up to work for them as a videographer. And I think I'd been there for like two weeks and the therapeutic clicked in my mind. I was like, okay, I can do this. There's a lot of adjustments to that one. Um, and t- to me, it was, it was definitely a more difficult one to execute. Um, even though it, it physically was a lot easier than the Barefoot 500, uh, but yeah, just another incredible experience. Um, uh, it was a six day expedition. I technically finished in five. Um, but we just kind of needed that extra day <laughs> to, to get back up to the farm and, and finish off. But it was, uh, it was a beautiful experience. And I started it super sick. I started it again at both of these races. I've started really sick. So I was like puking off my handlebars the first day. I was like, so, so sick. And I had like, I had the stomach flu and then you're just like riding a bike all day. It was such a bad combo, but uh, yeah, we got it done. <laughs> Damn. Wow. That's insane. Yeah. Wh- uh, you think it was the nerves that made you sick going into it or it was just like a fluke thing? I've started to question. I definitely have questioned. I've never hit it with like triathlon races. Um, but again, I have a lot more exposure to, to performance pressure and all that stuff. But I, it, it sucked. It really sucked. <laughs> so you, so you biked, uh, this would be 620 miles, right? If we convert that over a thousand K, um, in five days, um, as someone who bikes some, um, I have a road bike. I, like I said, in the beginning, I do some triathlons, just getting more into it. Um, how was the comfort like with the body? Like I've got a decent road bike, um, you know, I've got arrow bars, I'm fitted for it, but I have a really hard time being comfortable on a road bike. And um, I don't know why. I, I don't know if my seat's wrong or or what, but how was that 
for you? Were you comfortable the whole time or do you like, how does that work? Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, again, that was kind of my first exposure to this, this long form biking, how I would do it now, astronomically different. Like I would go and get professionally okay. fitted. I would make sure that I, you know, have a little bit more gear under my belt. Um, I, I purchased that bike unseen and I like drove down to the island, picked it up. And then we started riding the next day. Worst idea of my life. I will say this. The bike was probably two sizes too big for me. It was like a 54. I ride a 51. And I was like, oh, what's a few inches? Like quite a big difference. Um, I swear that was my saving grace though, because what happened was it pushed me so far forward. I was in such a drastic lean. Um, my like left, or maybe it was my right, one of my shoulders and my rotator cuffs was just an agony by the end. But, you know, um, the mate that I was doing that one with, she was dealing with chafing. I, her butt was in a bad way. Like she was so sore. Um, and, and she was really struggling and, and she had a lot of knee pain, which actually took her off the course. And, and so I swear having the bigger bike and being forced forward, I took so much impact on my upper body that I really didn't have any pain. Um, swelling was a really big issue and that's happened on both events. Um, so again, going into it, I probably would have worn like bigger size bike shoes than I normally do to account for when the feet swell. Cause then it was really uncomfortable. You got itchy, you got like, uh, lack of circulation. My feet were numb for most of it. That was really frustrating, but yeah, I also would have attached arrow bars. I didn't have that. So just having like that secondary position, that would have been extremely, extremely helpful. Um, I did choose a gravel bike and I think that also made a little bit of a difference because <laughs> triathlon bikes, they're not very comfortable. Um, so I think the, the gravel bike did absorb quite a bit of the shock. And so it, it did allow for like, it was a little bit slower, but the trade-off I felt like for the comfort I got was better. And then the other mm-hmm. thing that I would, I didn't do at the time. I just kind of rode whatever seat was on. Uh, we did buy Walmart gel seats, uh, nearing the end. Cause we were just like this, this is rough. Um, but I probably would have gotten like a carbon fitted seat that I have now. Um, that this actually like catered to your seat bones and it's in the correct position. So there were some changes that I would have made, but ultimately, um, yeah, Advil too. Take a lot of Advil. <laughs> that's, that's important. <laughs> Well, what you just described with your friend is a lot of like what I deal with. And it it happens like about the 20 mile mark, which is not that far into a ride. Um, And yeah, so we should talk, you know, probably after maybe or down the road about like how you got fitted or what seat you're working with. Um, because I have an expensive seat. It's a nice seat. Um, and I know I'm fitted for the bike, right? But I definitely am uncomfortable. Um, it's funny. You said Walmart gel seat like that. That sounds so nice. <laughs> you know, yeah. So I don't, I don't know what the secret will be. Like I last week, I just uh, played around with like the seat positioning and I, and I tilted it forward more and, and, I moved the whole thing forward slightly and then I did a further tilt to put more weight on my upper body um, because I'm never uncomfortable in my upper body. And I've got, you know, I think the strength to take some additional pressure, but man, oh man, it is not met for (laughs) comfort in the lower portion of the body. (laughs) 
<laughs> I will I will agree with that. You know what's interesting is in all these experiences, I, I honestly didn't A realize how many resources were out there to to get suited up for these situations. I mean, there's not necessarily a blog post like how to write a thousand kilometers, but um, there would be, you know, a considerable amount of information available. I didn't even know that like getting properly bike fitted was a thing. And I honestly feel to some degree that was in my favor because I was just listening to myself and listening to my body. And I think, you know, especially in the fitness world, there's so many opinions, there's, there's so much advice. And so I think sometimes we forget that like the biggest source of truth is your body. Like um, I had my tri bike professionally fitted and I was dealing with knee pain for the first time ever. And so I was like, mm-hmm. you know what? it didn't hurt when I had my seat a little bit further back and I had it a little bit higher. Um, and now I don't have knee pain. I'm not, you know, I don't want to disregard the, the education, the knowledge and the professionalism of those in the craft. And I think it's very important to, to get the mentors and the, the help that you need. But at the same time, it's like each body's different. There's not going to be one formula that works for everyone. So just staying in tune with that, I think is really important. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it's funny you mentioned the knee pain. Um, another experience that I've had is like bike shoes seem to be quite narrow. Um, and I like a wide toe box. So like your feet can be natural and your toes can splay. Um, I find that while I'm riding, especially if I'm pushing, um, you know, I tense my feet up and it makes my calves tight. Like that whole chain starts to like not yeah, it starts to lock up. And so I have to remind myself to relax my feet, splay my toes for what I can in those narrow shoes. But do you have any similar experience with your feet and calves? Yeah, I dealt with numb feet a lot, to be honest. Um, wow. I'm almost like, yeah, even um, I would say just within the last three months. So I ride my bike basically every day. I'm in like full-time training right now for triathlons. I would say just within the last three months, it's kind of gone away. I don't know if that's just a body adaptation. I did switch shoes. Um, the other thing is I actually, even though I'm a road cyclist, I prefer to use, um, like I like the SPD clips a lot more. And then I also typically use mountain bike shoes because mountain bike shoes are designed for a little bit more leeway, right? Cause you're, you're going to be balancing and doing all your jazz. So I, I actually prefer mountain bike shoes. I, I find, like you're saying with road shoes, they're so narrow. They like snitch up so tight. I also really hate like any type of compression on that front part of my foot because I feel like that's my circulation. Like all my veins are running through that. So I, I ride quite loose too. And um, this is disgusting, but I usually ride barefoot because I feel like adding another layer, like with the socks and stuff, again, you're just like, you're putting an extra strain on circulation. And that that to me is like my huge issue. Or like itchy feet. I used to get that a lot too. Um, so yeah, part of it I think is just constantly like testing, testing out stuff. Yeah, it's it's crazy like with the level of technology we have now with everything, cars and homes and everything, that we're having the conversation about comfort on bikes like i i think that's pretty common i know we have clients here into riding um pretty experienced people and they have similar issues so it's like what 
you know, why can't we be comfortable while riding expensive bikes and we're fit humans? Like, um, maybe it's just a code they haven't cracked with positioning or gear or something. And I know it's all built for like speed and efficiency. And I, I would argue like that's obviously of utter importance for professionals, uh, but like for me as a hobbyist, like I would like like an 80, 20, <laughs> I would what? be fine with that. You know, like we're go 80% speed, but I want 20% more comfort. Um, and yeah, it's like seconds don't matter with me. <laughs> it's for fun. Um, so I don't know. I, I'd be curious to see, you know, if the manufacturers even care about that or maybe I'm going about it wrong, but I got to keep tinkering with it. No, I totally agree. It's funny to me because I've made my big purchase of a nice tri bike this year, and and here I was thinking like, oh, I'm I'm gonna have the best, you know, like long distance rides. It's the opposite. Like I swear, for every hundred dollars more you spend on your bike, you take away a degree of of comfort. I mean, I have like a twenty dollar bike that I put around town with that I don't care if it gets stolen. That thing is comfortable. Like I would go ride a thousand kilometers on that, <laughs> like the thick padded seats. So. Yeah, it is interesting. I, I yeah, and I definitely think time too. But um, I've worked with a lot of, of physical therapists, and one thing they say is like, if you're doing pain, adjust because you should never be in pain. So whether that's like maybe there's some there's some unresolved knee pain that that's there when you're not cycling, but cycling's what's aggravating it. Um, you know, there's always some type of connection. It's funny you mentioned the $20 bike. Um, you know Courtney DeWalter, the ultra marathon runner? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She uh, she just finished like two big races. She won both. And then like a week later, she went out and she did the a race in Colorado. It was like this double long, crazy like challenge. Um, and she posted a picture on Instagram and she has like a really old, like a 20 year old Trek bike with like <laughs> this big comfy seat and like the slack, like obviously people were joking and being sarcastic, but they were saying like, why don't you have a nicer bike? And they were like tagging Trek and uh, Cervelo and all these companies and like send her a bike. And, and she's like, I did just fine. And I was comfortable and like, leave me alone. And I just thought that was really funny. <laughs> Yeah, no, I feel you. And I also, I mean, maybe you've experienced this getting into triathlon. Triathlon's a super gear heavy sport. And I think mm -hmm. that deters a lot of people because they think I got to have the tri suit. I got to have the tri bike. I got to have the aero helmet. I got to have, you know, the pit vipers. The list goes on. Um, I say to some point, it's just about looks. And then to the other point, it's about a millisecond. And, and I would all like, I just always encourage people like never let the gear stop you show up on like the garage sale bike that you got with the helmet you found in your parents' basement from 1912 and like get mm -hmm. out there and do it. And, and once you know that you're going to do it, feel free to make those investments, you know, in increments. But uh, yeah, I, I think it goes back to we our, our own mindsets can get in our way of us getting started of thinking we're not good enough. I think gear can also be a huge hindrance to people actually getting out and trying new, new sports. So yeah, that's great advice. Uh, I did my first uh, sprint triathlon on like a $300 Trek hybrid bike. Um, I had like a $20 like Huffy helmet. Um, I It was just like total like country bumpkin type. I definitely <laughs> stood out. 
And yeah. but I didn't care. Like I pushed as hard as I could. Um, I was racing against no one but myself. And then since then, I've made some adjustments, but I'm still definitely on the lower portion of the totem pole when it comes to equipment and gear, but I'm fine with that. Um, and honestly, like, I, I think like, I would like to focus on getting fitter myself instead of thinking my gear is going to make me a lot better. All I would want is like to be more comfortable on the bike. And so we're working on that, but hopefully that won't be too expensive. (laughs) Yeah. Lots of Vaseline. Hey, I'm curious. Um, so you do obviously a lot of endurance, um, type work. Are you strength training at all in the gym? And if so, what exercises are your favorite? Yeah. Uh, so strength training definitely was something when I took time off of, of running and that I actually started like working with an Olympic weightlifter. Um, mm-hmm. I'm very, very passionate about lifting. I think, especially as runners, there's this idea that like, you know, stay light and nimble and, uh, limbo. I don't know what the saying is. Um, <laughs> and you know, so they don't lift heavy. I really oppose that. I think muscle density is your biggest injury prevention and protection. So I do, I lift heavy. So I have two heavy days, um, where I kind of do your standard sets of the deadlift, uh, squats. I do kind of variations of squats. Squats, such a powerful thing. Yeah, you can, you can really work every single muscle in your legs with a, with a decent squat variation. So whether that's cyclist squats, front squats, goblet squats, front, like there's just so many. Um, so yeah, I'll just be in the squat rack for most of the day. I really emphasize, uh, hamstrings when I go to the gym because especially as a cyclist and as a runner, like you can get very quad dominant, um, which again, great. They protect your knees, but. Um, I want to make sure I'm quite balanced. So I have kind of those those very big strength training days. I do take it light on my upper body, my shoulders with swimming. I try to uh, actually lift quite light because I want to get the muscles that, you know, aren't my dominant ones in my stroke, but that are going to support that overall like rotator cuff and kind of those finer muscle groups. Um, so I'm very, very cautious about my shoulders, but recently I've been getting a little bit more brave with like bigger shoulder presses. Um, but honestly, yeah, during the winter, I do a little bit more strength training, um, just cause my options for other activities is quite limited. So just out of like time and passion, I'll, I'll be in the gym a lot more. Um, but yeah, so there's always two heavy days and then there's usually three, not so heavy days. Uh, and as of right now, I'm actually go to the F45 boot camps as well. Um, so <laughs> those are like kind of just fun conditioning keeps it, keeps it exciting with the training. Uh, but then all my trainings on top of that as well. Wow. Yeah. So you and I have very similar structures, um, with the two heavy days. Um, so I do, yeah, one day a week, heavy lower. Um, and then I do one day a week, moderate upper, you know, I do more like gymnastics type stuff, like handstand work and ring stuff. Uh, but it's not too crushing, uh, because exactly what you said with the swimming stuff. Um, and I like to work the antagonistic muscles also. So that's very interesting, but you're also, so that's the extent of my strength training two days a week. Um, I come from a much bigger background than that, but I can't now I'm 40 and time and everything else. Like I can't do more volume and add in the endurance side too, right? Like bike, swim, run. It's just like way too much time. Um, but you're also doing three days a week of like a boot camp style hit type stuff and your endurance work. So like 
what's your volume of let's say hours um per week are you like 15 hours a week 12 hours a week because i'm about seven hours a week of training which is about what my life and my body can handle how many hours a week are you training on average uh i'd say between like 15 to 20 it there's a little bit of fluctuations um like especially right now with the weather being nice my my rest day is sunday uh but um I usually do an open water swim on that day. So that's kind of added in um, just a bit. I, you know, I try not to, to stress load on that day. It's just kind of like keeping my body fluid and emotion. And it's also when I have a little bit more time. So I enjoy uh, getting out, but I work online. So uh, I have the privilege of being able to work like super, I work for a European company. So I work super early in the morning and then I usually train between 12 and four uh, every day is, is my goal. And then uh, I just kind of tried to live an active lifestyle on top of that. So, but I will tell you, um, <laughs> I, I have a coach and he, and he was pretty generous about like transitioning me into that type of workload. Um, and he hasn't also scheduled all that. Some of that is like the boot camp. I just enjoy being there and doing that. Some of the lifts I'll add in throughout the week. I like to do like 30 minutes of abs like every day as well. Um, so those aren't necessarily scheduled then, but um, I was so tired when I started. And even now, like I'm, I'm 24. Like I should be at the height of my youth and feel like a little spring bunny out here. And I'm like, I want my freaking nap. Like every day I'm so tired. I'm so hungry. <laughs> so it definitely takes a toll. <laughs> I was, I was definitely, I was going to ask that. So you're 24, you're 16 years younger than me. Um, like recovery wise, you know, I'm not new to the athletics game and I did a long time, like in my late twenties, early thirties with competitive CrossFit, I was training many double sessions. So I know that lifestyle. Um, but it's exactly what you said. It's like, you're tired, <laughs> you're hungry. And so yeah. like your, so recovery for you is, uh, probably a very, uh, well, it's obviously very important, but you're thinking about it a lot and you're and you're working towards recovering because 15 to 20 hours a week of training, you know, that's um that's quite significant. So, you know, on average, let's say four hours a day, three to four hours a day, um, over say five days. Um, what do you do for recovery? Is it is it like naps, healthy eating, like the the pretty generic stuff, or do you have any hacks or tricks? Yeah. So I think the base base work is a very highly nutritious diet. That's Mm -hmm. massive. I really believe in the saying, like, let thy food be thy medicine and thy medicine be thy food. I try to stay away from like artificial stimulants. So I'm not really big into like pre-workout. I even really like, I don't really partake in caffeine unless it's race day. Um, I stay away from sugars because I... I, again, I want to be attuned to my body. And if I'm always pumping it with like artificial energy, I actually don't know what my natural energy supply is. That's really important to listen to. Um, so decent sleep. I'm, I'm going to be like super honest. I'm a really big hypocrite in that department. I don't sleep a ton. And I don't know if it's just my body, but I feel worse if I've slept like nine hours versus like five. So wow. <laughs> I don't wow. know why. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I sleep, I sleep, I sleep a ton. So like I sleep like eight to 10 hours a night. (laughs) No way. 
Wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, that at all. <laughs> yeah. No, I, we have a 10 year old. And when he goes to bed at like 8 30 or 9, I like a half hour later, I'm like weaseling my way upstairs. <laughs> and then I, I sleep in till between six and seven, but I do it all naturally. Like if I'm not tired, I don't go to bed. Um, and then if I, I don't wake up, I wake up with no alarm clock. So it's just, again, natural. Um, so I'm just going based on feel and all of that. Um, but I noticed that if I'm not training, let's say I have a deload week or I have three, four or five days off, which is very rare. But if I do, um, I'm not that tired. So like, okay. you know, I can definitely go to bed at like 1030 and I'm like up at like 530 and I'm like, I don't want a nap. Like I'm really sort of wired. Um, but the training, yeah, it's again, it's only seven hours, but it's just enough to, I think, you know, stimulate needing that a much sleep, you know? So, but yeah, so you do five hours on average. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't recommend it. Like I'm sure I'm super injury prone and, and whatnot from it. Part of the reason is uh, again, with kind of like my weird work schedule with, with European time zones, like I can get a meeting that starts <laughs> at like 4am in the morning and I got to be up and chipper mm -hmm. for it. So um, I, you know, I, I don't want that forever. I would definitely like to, to move away and move into part-time hours at some point or, or just kind of get some consistency in that schedule. Um, but yeah, I mean, I nap a lot too. I guess that's part of my, my recovery. Like I, I remember reading, like, if you can't get eight hours in one chunk, get like six and then add two at some other point. And I usually find like mid afternoon, if I'm not out training, if I've done it earlier, I just crash. Like I get really, really tired. Um, another thing I got huge into is like cold water therapy or heat therapy as well. So I do use that quite a bit. Um, again, it's like, I think I have some circulatory issues. Um, and, and so I, I can like get swollen kind of easily, um, especially in like my joints and stuff. So that's always been really helpful in just keeping the inflammation down. Um, I, what else do I do for recovery? I think too, also the other thing, um, is like, I think there's a difference between resting and recovery. So resting is like, I'm just taking time off before a race. I always do a taper and that's where I'm really like trying to do nothing. Uh, recovery I feel like is, is intentional acts that you do to heal your body. And so for me, that's like a lot of walking. I really believe in like walking is just so great. It helps with that circulation. It keeps everything, you know, moving and fluid. Um, and then I try to do like two mobility, not workouts, but like, cause I'm not, you know, like trying to achieve anything. I'm just moving my body. Um, so I'll add two of those in a week and then I do cupping actually a lot as well. So I really like yeah. cupping. Um, mm -hmm, but yeah, mm -hmm. nothing, nothing too crazy. When I, when I did the other events, I had like a Cairo and a masseuse and I was going to all those regularly. And I will say it made it more comfortable. I didn't see like a huge shift in performance. You know, I was still able to do it. It just was like, I had a little bit less tight back or whatever. So. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I've had experience with all of those things, um, other than cupping. Um, but the naps there, you are so right. Like a one to two hour afternoon nap, man, you wake up from that. And if it was a good, if it was a good sleep, you got a huge bowl. It feels like 600 milligrams of caffeine. You are ready to rock. And, uh, it feels like a brand new day. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> I remember seeing this podcast with one of those like ultra intense mates. And he was like, yeah, I basically live three days. And he goes through how he breaks it up. And in my mind, I like before he was talking about how he does it, which is just a matter of structuring his time. I thought he literally meant like he had a little sleep in there and then woke up again. But no, he was just being really intense. But I do believe that. Like if you have a good nap, you've got an extra day. <laughs> so that's oh, great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So um, this is going to air after you make your next announcement there uh, with an event. So I'm um, assuming we can discuss it. Um, yep. What's your next big challenge uh, coming up? Yeah, so um, kind of this was this was really cool how this one came together. Uh, knew I wanted to do another ultra. My coach has like me really reined in here because I'm the type of like athlete that I message him. I'm like, hey, there's an Ironman in two weeks. You think I think I could sign up for that? Uh, so he's been really good about reining me in. So this one I had to push back uh, till out of race season. So I turned 25 in December and I always like to do something uh, really challenging to kind of commemorate the year and, and to dive in. Cause there's that mm-hmm. saying that if you uh, start your day by eating a frog, everything else will be easy. I feel it's the same. If you start your year by doing something really difficult, uh, everything else will be easier. So I always like mm-hmm. to collect a win first, like right off the bat. So uh, I was thinking like 25 was in my mind uh, for a long time. And uh, I got connected with this organization um, that, uh, helps with human trafficking, uh, well, helps aid the, the, the abolishment of human trafficking, the SA foundation. Um, they're based out here in Canada and I just shot them over an email and said like, Hey, I'd love to hear more about what you do. And, you know, I hadn't really solidified the details, but I jumped on a call with, uh, with all their founders and I, again, their passion, their dedication, um, you know, 30 years of doing this and they're still kicking and their organization and, and how they go about everything is just so meticulous and so well thought out. Um, so I knew I wanted to dedicate it to them. And my first thought was like, I wanted this to be, um, I wanted to take out as much adrenaline from this experience as I could, because adrenaline's really potent. It, it, like I, I would compare it to a drug, like it can really get you to do some crazy stuff. And, and you sometimes don't even feel the pain because, you know, it's such a protector of that for us. So I wanted to try to strip as much adrenaline out. I also wanted to take away any sense of fun. Um, and for me, running is quite fun. Like I, I genuinely enjoy it. I feel very free when I run. So I was like, how do I take that out of the experience? And I think every runner will agree their personal hell is a track because you're just going around and around and around. So my next oh, yeah. ultra will be a tw- yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it's terrible. So uh, I decided for this one uh, on December 2nd, I'm going to be doing a 25 hour run on a track. So no distance, just time. Um, and we are just going to loop that bad boy for 25 hours. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so so is it max distance then? Like uh, you're going to try to really maximize that that uh that time frame and get go as far as you can is that what it is yeah that's kind of the goal so uh with my last run you know 13 hours at 100k uh i've obviously i'm in 
quite different shape than then. Um, I actually have been training, so so I'm hoping, you know, we can uh, maybe double that distance, but I'm also kind of going in as I always do with, with no expectations. Um, and we'll just kind of see what happens. And it's really cool because I, you know, I had the number 25 for my birthday and I had the idea of 25 hours. And, you know, I just recently was looking up the statistics and there's 25 million people in human trafficking right now. So the number just kept showing up. And that's just, again, kind of like one of those signs I take of like, okay, yeah, I fit, I fit what I should do. So yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's amazing. You, you, uh, so yeah, I think a really cool goal. A lot of people go after is a hundred miles in 24 hours. Um, I know like in the backyard ultra scene, that's a big, uh, a big goal for people. So you're be close to that, right? Or you're hoping to exceed a hundred miles. What I know it's 25 hours, but, um, you'll be in that range, right? Yeah, I would hope to be, I definitely would hope to be, um, you know, again, it will be winter, but I'm hoping with the track, we can just keep it salted and, uh, that will allow me to have like proper stride without interference of ice or snow or whatnot. Uh, but yeah, I'm really, I'm really feeling, yeah, feeling confident. I'm feeling like actually the five hours of sleep that I get a night is going to pay off great because, you know, I won't be missing like 20 hours of sleep over, <laughs> over that time. I'll just be like, ah, it's just five hours. So maybe I'm already. Oh, oh yeah. Like, oh yeah. Like about eight 30 at night, I'd start yawning and about 10 30, 11, I would be just like, totally like a zombie. I don't even know. Like, I know I could definitely do it if I really you know, that'd be hard though for me. I'd have to wean back on some, some sleep leading into that. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) definitely. Yeah. I think the big thing is, uh, I learned this with the barefoot 500. It's like eye drops, never thought about them before, Mm -hmm. but just keeping the eyes Mm -hmm. like moisturized. And, uh, so they're able to stay open will be important. Yeah. Courtney DeWalter talks about that, like the importance of, um, you know, the eye drops and stuff. Uh, yeah. She's mentioned that before. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, last question, uh, for you, Savannah, do you have a a 10 year vision, like long-term type vision with what you're doing with this, or are you just gonna go event by event and feel it out? Like what's, uh, what's your mindset with that? Yeah. Um, I think on, uh, the athletic side, so I am actually shooting for the Olympics. That's my new goal. Um, just because I, you know, not for the podium, but I just think it would be an awesome starting place to be able to make this message bigger, um, and just be able to connect with more people and, and get deeper into this field. So I'm kind of aiming for the LA Olympics. I've qualified for worlds this year. So hopefully we place in triathlon. Um, and then I think for, for these ultras, for these charities. Um, yeah, I would like it actually to become kind of um, not a full-time gig. Cause I, I really believe in like supporting myself and, and using all the money raised to go directly to the cost. So I never would want to dip into that funding, but um, I, I, I do want to take it as, as far as I can. I really want to start working with kids. Cause I feel like if we can get kids before they're kind of like, just beat down with the weight of the world and and this idea that they can't do stuff and we still get them in their innocence. I would love that. So I I definitely want to launch like youth expeditions where you take them out and you do some really challenging stuff um, and help them collect wins. Um, But yeah, I plan on doing this honestly for as long as, as my body allows. Um, Cause this truly is what makes athletics exciting to me. Um, Obviously it's awesome to hit some PRs 
Everyone loves a little muscle definition. These are like, they're all great side effects, but they're not really my why uh, this is. So I plan on doing, making each expedition a little bit bigger than the last. I definitely want to do like a multi-month expedition, but you know, there's a lot of alignment that has to occur for that to happen, but just keep getting bigger and, and plotting along. Yeah, that's that's so cool. You want to affect uh, kids, you know, uh, and I think about this a lot too. I, we've done a lot of work with kids through different things here through the years, and but you're so right. Like um, the kids are lost, and and there's a lot of lacking of hope um, and direction, and good mentors and opportunities, you know, out into nature and hiking and getting to know their bodies and connecting, you know. Um, so yeah, let me know on, on that. You know, I, you know, we could definitely talk off air, you know, down the road as things progress for you, but I had something I'd be very interested in also, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Kids are powerful. They're very, very powerful. I think most of the lessons I've learned, uh, have actually come through kids. Like I was running the barefoot 500, uh, I think it was day three <laughs> and everyone was looking at me like I was this bag of potatoes just with so much sympathy and like, Oh, she's in pain and she's suffering. <laughs> and this little kid, his name was Angelo, cutest little dude. I think he was like 10 or 12. So he was definitely younger. Could have been a little bit older actually. Anyways, his mom dropped him off and was like, you got to run with this girl. And I'd never met him before. And this kid jumps out of the car. He's barefoot. And he just starts like pounding the pavement. And, you know, no adult would have done that because they know I've just been running for like an entire marathon. I'm done. And this kid's just like, you know, going ahead of me, chatting along, not even paying attention to like, I'm dying. (laughs) And uh, I broke a PR that day. And I swear it was because of him because he just he just showed up and he was like, he did not pay attention to the limitations that I was dealing with or the limitations he was dealing with. He was just like, let's get it done. And if we can like tap into that energy and if we can like preserve that in youth, I think this, the world's in really good hands. So any way that I can like facilitate that definitely is, is, is a priority for me in the future. Yeah, that is great. Savannah, you are an inspiration. Um, how can listeners learn more about you? We're going to put your, um, Instagram tag in the description. Um, do you want to give that a shout out and anything else you want people to to look up? Yeah. As of right now, kind of going through like rebranding and getting uh, the website up. So for right now, the best place is my Instagram. It's stories of Sav. Um, and then I also am quite active on LinkedIn as well. So that's just Sav Holmes. And uh, it's, my, my, I mean, it's my, my name, but <laughs> all my socials have converted to Sav. So we'll roll with that. So um yeah, that's usually the best way to connect. And I'm always down, you know, any questions that people have or any collaborations they want to do or even uh, charity organizations, however small, I always love to hear what people are doing and see if there's a way that we can collaborate and I can assist. So very happy to connect. Awesome. Savannah, thank you for your time today and we will talk soon. Appreciate it. You too. One last message. I ask that you please check out our show sponsors, Lombardi Chiropractic, Home Sweet Home Cleaning, Native Pass Supplements, and Thin Line Martial Arts. Their links are in the description. Not only do these companies produce outstanding products and services, but they're providing an enticing discount to all listeners who use code COMO15, that's C-O-M-O-15, at checkout or when you give them a call.